This week we'll talk about decoding the data science job description and we have a special guest today, Teresa. Teresa is an experienced data practitioner. She worked as a data science manager, a data scientist, data engineer, product manager, and she is leading a coaching team right now. Teresa actually is a, you're doing so many things. She's a core organizer of the PyLadies Hamburg group. She's hosting regular meetups with the community. And she's also a PSF Code of Conduct and Diversity and Inclusion Working Group member. What is PSF, by the way? The Python Software Foundation. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, welcome to our event. Thank you. And before we go into our main topic of today, which is understanding the job descriptions, let's start with your background. Can you tell us about your career journey so far? Oh, yeah. So, well... I guess I have a traditional career journey to data science plus being at the right place at the right time. I studied computer science. I come from Romania. I came to Hanover then to do my diploma arbeit and then I stayed to do a PhD, right? That's what you do after diploma arbeit. Anyway, and then it was lucky because my PhD was in information retrieval and recommender systems and all that, that in 2011, there were not so many people doing yeah. it. And that led me to get a job at Xing. I remember back then I applied for senior Perl developer in the data team. And I thought, how hard can it be? I did three months of Perl coding during my internship at Microsoft. So I guess I can apply for a senior Perl developer. I mean, that is the only job they had, right, on the <laughs> platform. So I applied. It turned out in the interview that I didn't actually know that much about Perl, but I did know stuff about recommender systems. So I got the job then. And Sync is a job search portal in Germany. Yeah, exactly. And Austria, so the Dach area. <laughs> so yeah, so I stayed there for like three years and a half, I think. And then I took a year off doing artsy things and kind of trying out startup-y stuff. And then I wanted to work with data again. And I started working at my taxi, which is now called Free Now. And I joined first as a data engineering because it was like, that had to be fixed before you do data science, right? Mm -hmm. And then after we set up everything, after a year and a half, I think we started the data science team. And I was there, I think, four years and a half in the end. And then I left and I started at Neufische first as a coach. I wanted to just do it for like six months and then go do my break thing. But then I stayed. I felt like the coaches, you know, we need to kind of build up the team and like having career paths also for coaching. Coaches, not for just for students. So yeah, so it's going to be almost two years now in uh, mm -hmm. September. And then, yeah, I started with the PyLadies already at free now. I felt like I didn't really have a uh, click in Hamburg, you know, like peers to exchange with. I think I've been in many of the companies. I was like the only woman developer and it's nice to be a pioneer, but not really. So yeah, that's why we started the PyLadies, I think in Hamburg, because we saw the Berlin one was pretty active. And then we did also, and then yeah, one thing led to another and there was like more stuff for the community doing and more interesting stuff. And I think it's really important and it's also quite rewarding in the end, right? So you tried pretty much everything. So at first you worked in academia as a researcher, then you joined Sync as a data scientist, then you joined another company as a data engineer. So you built the 
data engineering platform, the data pipelines there, then you became a data scientist again, then you led a team, you start 30 teams, so which means you were like a manager, right? Uh, managing a team. I was not really. Not so really? basically, when I was working at Xing, you have to understand I was working at Xing doing data science in like 2011 to 2015. So we were writing code in Scala, mm -hmm. right? And our recommender systems were Elasticsearch doing smart, interesting queries on Elasticsearch. That hasn't changed. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's still how people do. <laughs> right. Okay. But it was really like product driven, right? So mm -hmm. it had to be needed. It was not so much researchy stuff. And I think when I came to Freenow and we were looking at data science and then everybody was talking about Python, Python and so many libraries and everybody was doing things differently. And then it was like, oh, I, if I would have done my PhD now, things would have been way faster than doing my PhD in Java, right? I mean, you had to implement your own Lucene. Mm -hmm. Remember Lucene? I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it was just so much grinding back then to write code. Anyways, so what was lacking then when we started with the data science team, we had a lot of people, we had people that had been from data engineering or data analytics, but they were kind of like not experienced in this like product mindset, right? So it was more like cool experiments that are looking nice in a Jupyter notebook, but then they were never kind of this bridging to like, it actually gets used by someone, you know, that work that has to be done was not really well planned and stuff. So I ended up actually doing product management management until we hired someone for the product management mm -hmm. role. And then I took the leadership role. That's interesting. And uh, were you hired as a data scientist first and you realized that you need to, to build this data platform sort of thing, or they hired you as a data engineer first? No. Or as a data person, general the data person? So I applied, there were not many jobs in Hamburg in 2016 when I decided mm -hmm. to work again with data. That was a problem. There was like my taxi. I mean, of course, there was auto and Xing, right? But I've been at Xing and I wasn't going to go back. And also I kind of learned at Xing that I cannot function in a company of the size of Xing or larger. So I was definitely not going to go to auto. And then there were not many things. So there was good games for games, not that I'm particularly interested in making people play more games. So it wasn't like complete culture fit for me on that side. And then my taxi, at least I had used the app and I found it very useful back then. It was the only thing that you didn't need cash in the morning. <laughs> I was like, you know, being stranded somewhere and you need a taxi and you don't have cash. It's very traumatizing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so basically the job description I applied for was BI developer. Mm -hmm. Okay. It was really unattractive title, especially because at Sing we had the different nomenclatures of jobs, right? So BI people were like people working on Exasol and just doing queries and reports and had zero interaction with data science. I'm talking about 2012 now, right? And things probably have changed. So here it was different, right? So BI development was basically what you would call now ETL developer, right? Mm -hmm. The first thing I did, I said, like, so they gave me the option, you could join uh, the data analytics teams, you know, you do dashboards in Tableau. And I was like, oh, no. So <laughs> I don't think that's like interesting for me. So, or you help us build a data platform. We needed to, you know, the ETL back then at my taxi was, you will be surprised, but it was Postgres queries glued together in Maven. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because the person who originally built it was a Java developer. <laughs> so I have never well, seen at least it worked, right? It worked. So we had to do like put this on Airflow. And back then, you know, Hadoop was like popular. And I said, like, 
you saw the building blocks and I thought like, well, I've been there at seeing when the whole data infrastructure was built. I saw it happening. I wasn't really getting involved, but maybe I, and it turned out that I had a lot of passive knowledge out of that. So that was helpful. But yeah, mm-hmm. I applied. And the first thing I did, I changed the job title. I said, I can't put that job title on my CV ever. <laughs> <laughs> and also we cannot hire anybody. Nobody's going to apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, just a different market. Yeah, now you work as a coach. So what do you do as a coach? Like, how is it different from your previous jobs? Well, now I don't have to worry about not caring about the product that I'm working on or not. <laughs> because mm-hmm. I am just teaching people how to be responsible data scientists. So that whenever they go and do stuff, they are not, you know, destroying other people's lives and doing cool thing with data. So it, Yeah, at Noe Fisher, we're having boot camps. We're doing data science boot camps. At least me and my team, there's also data analytics and web and Java and AWS. But what I did, we added a lot of like product part in the data science boot camp because I feel that that's actually the part that is like stopping people from getting stuff done and a lot of teamwork, right? So we are teaching students coming from different backgrounds how to be... Well, data scientists that you would want to work with, mm-hmm. not like someone finishes in university and they just learn how to, you know, all the tools, but they can't work in a team because universities don't teach working in teams and all sorts of things. So basically that, and we get a lot of PhDs, right? And you know how it is with PhDs. I think there's <laughs> perceived people when you don't know where the person did a PhD or not, right? But a lot of people think, well, a person who did PhD, they worked alone the whole time. They don't collaborate well. They don't get well contradicted depending on where they did it, right? So some PhDs are completely different, of course, but you hear a lot of people that say, oh, we hired already a lot of PhDs. It didn't work well. We're not hiring PhDs anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> companies just go like 180s on this, right? Yeah, funny that you mentioned that because I remember there was a time when companies would hire only PhDs. Yeah. And then uh, you're saying now, oh, yeah, we tried that, didn't work. Let's not hire PhDs at all. <laughs> yeah, it's like, why does it all have to be so black and white, right? Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. And then I'm also, of course, we are 10 coaches. So we are working as a team and trying to find sustainable ways of working and growing. Because mm-hmm. you need to, the field of data just is so fluid, right? At the moment, it just mm-hmm. changes all the time and you have to stay on top of the game a little bit yeah. yeah and actually what we wanted to talk about in this interview is understanding data science job descriptions and a while ago you gave a talk with the same name similar name decoding a data science job description and that is a great talk and uh, i wanted to talk a bit about that here Thank you. so you started the talk by saying that there is a mismatch between expectations and reality for both candidates and companies and i think we talked a little bit about this already, like hiring PhDs, right? So first company expected that they would just hire a bunch of PhDs and things would magically happen. And then things didn't magically happen. Okay, something must be wrong with the PhDs, right? So let's not hire them. (laughs) So there is some mismatch, right? So can you tell us more about this? Why does this mismatch happen? So talking from the company perspective, right? So I think companies are, not all the companies, of course, but I think most companies, like, Just imagine you go on LinkedIn and you look at data science jobs and then you get depressed and you close LinkedIn. You know, you're like wondering, where is that feeling coming from? (laughs) So 
there's a lot of copy pasting going around, right? And you have this, this feeling is like, they're not really intentional. There's no intent in how they're writing this job description. It's just about, hey, we need to hire some people. Let's copy what other people are writing and let's hire some people. And I think this kind of can come out, but sometimes you don't have a choice and you have to go with it, right? So first companies don't usually know what they want, what they need, right? Sometimes they find out through the job interview process, right? So they don't hire the first person, the second person. By the fifth person they interview, they have like done their research. Now they know who they want to hire. This happens, right? But sometimes also the way interviews are done in most companies, it has a different aim than... So instead of telling a person, this is what you're going to do at work in the next time, and does this align with your needs? You tell a person, hey, these are all the things that you need to know. And then the job interview is about understanding if the person is smart. And also, can we understand if the person is smart with least effort possible? So we start with the take me home challenge, which we say it's for four hours, but everybody knows it's least effort for the company side, right? Not for the candidate. Yeah, yeah. For the company side, it's four hours. They say that. But then in the end, it's like, if you want to do a good job, you spend like a month. Yeah, a month sometimes, right? (laughs) And like, for example, you can see like, there are some companies that they put the take me home challenge very early on in the interview process. Yeah, I remember I had a case when even before talking to a human, it was just an automatic email saying, hey, like, please do this home take uh, interview, but home take challenge. And I thought, okay, let me just do this. I didn't know that something is off here. So then I did and then I say, oh, sorry, like we actually forgot to close the position. We already hired somebody. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for telling me about that in advance. Yeah. Especially like large companies, if they are like, you know, have a lot of PR out there and nice branding, you know, a lot of people apply and then it, it becomes indeed like work to review those people. And I'm not sure if every company is allocated enough resources to kind of have proper interviews of people right and it's more like oh yeah we will figure it out in the probation period if it works out or not but germany is not a good country to fire people in probation period it's not really normal to just you know i think it happens in other countries more often that people get fired way faster but in germany but in general i guess like i imagine for a candidate who got hired and had some expectations and for the company letting go people is also stressful like i am a manager and i cannot imagine how difficult it is to fire somebody Right. It's stressful for both sides, right? Yeah, exactly. But I've heard quite often also people that got a job and it turned out that it's completely different than what they expected, right? Mm-hmm. And I think on the other side, the goals of candidates are also, I think a lot of people don't really sit down with themselves and write down their goals. So people also just sometimes go like a little bit uninformed in the job interviews. Like just imagine you're a manager, you've had interviews with people. Imagine how many people didn't ask questions. Like, remember, you know, there's some people that don't ask questions and you're like, hmm, interesting. Is this person applying at a hundred jobs now? <laughs> so it doesn't matter where they are getting a job. So basically to find out what is important for you and kind of inform yourself if that's happening, right? So people take it for granted, right? That the stuff that is important for them is going to be fine. And it's not the case, right? Mm-hmm. So the, to summarize, the misalignment, at least from the company point of view, happens because, first of all, companies don't know who they want, need. And second is they want to do it with the least amount of time from their side, yeah. right? And then it happens. So coming back to your story, how you ended up at MyTaxi, so you applied for a BI developer. And this wasn't exactly what they needed, right? Yeah, the title was wrong. 
Okay. <laughs> the uh, was the description also wrong or it wasn't? No, I think the description for me, I read the description. I thought this is data engineering, you know, 2016, right? So mm -hmm. I thought this is data engineering, you know, yeah, like you set up like a data warehouse and you create the platform mm -hmm. for the analytics team to work on basically. But it was definitely not BI developer. <laughs> <laughs> but here, let's say we are a candidate, so we want to apply for a job and then we come across a job description, right? So we don't want to get hired, start working, and then only then to find out that it's not what we want, right? Because leaving a company is stressful, even worse being fired, right? If you let go, that it's even worse. Even having a lot of job interviews is like yeah. takes a lot of time, right? Like if you think about it, like think about it as a pyramid, you can like look at a hundred job description. You can probably interview first interview round with 20 you can have how many take me home challenges like if you think of five take me home challenges that is like five weeks like if you want to do it right right yeah, exactly. and then to take one job so it becomes like the cost the further down the interview line you go it becomes the more time consuming and effort mm -hmm. it's like companies what they do is first they do the cv screening round so they look at the yeah. candidate cv and the job description is a similar thing, but from the other side, right, for the candidates. Yeah. So how can we make sure the description matches what we want? Right. So first of all, you have to think about what you want. And you also have <laughs> to think about where you are in your career. Right. Because this changes a little bit what you need from what you want. Right. So, so I think in general, one also identify the overlap between needs and wants, right? Because like wanting something might still be the wrong thing to have, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, a person at the beginning of their career working in a data science team that is not a team, it's just one person, is not going mm -hmm. to be very rewarding or helping them out with growing because they will end up doing like all sorts of random things that are probably not really data science related. Mm -hmm. So you have to have some experience, right? So you need to know that if you're a junior just graduated from university or from bootcamp, starting a team or starting as a sole data scientist in a startup might not be the best idea, right? But there are some people that have the personality for it, right? Uh -huh. Okay. It's not for everyone. Yeah, that they are thriving on this like chaos <laughs> and <laughs> experimenting often and figuring out stuff, right? But then there are people that want like, to take it slow and have stability and then enjoy their time. And then you need a bigger company, right? You need a bigger team. You need like a team where like stuff is defined, processes are defined and you just have to kind of do your thing for a bit, right? So yeah, so this is on one side from the candidate perspective to identify with yourself. Like, are you at the part where you still need to get good at the tech part, like on this little specialization thing that you're doing, whether it's data science or analytics, or are you at the part that you should get good at like generalizing, right? Like, okay, I can do all the data science part, but I want to now know machine learning engineer. And I also want to learn ML ops and also the analytics part, because I want to be able to better monitor my models. Like I want to go all over the place. I am there yet, right? Mm -hmm. And what is the right order to do this? Now, again, it depends. Order works for some people, it doesn't, right? So this mm -hmm. is a thing of personality. So in my talk, I was structuring things to basically take a look at it, if you can find information about the team, if you can find information about the role itself, if you can find information about the culture of the company, and also about 
Well, I added now newer, like the retention. What is like down the line? Like if you think about it in a couple of years, how would it still look like? Would you still be there? Right. Because sometimes it matters. Sometimes you are at the part where you just want to have a couple of jobs in your CV or like you're exploring. So, and then it doesn't matter. You can be six months somewhere and then in another, you needed a ramp up, right? But sometimes you want to be there longer. On all of this aspect, I think it's important to kind of like do a little bit of research to figure out if it's a match, mm-hmm. it's a fit, or if there's like stuff that is a little bit like borderline. And then you have to find out in the further down the interview if stuff is there or missing or wrong because it's ignorance or it's because it's on par- intentional. And by stuff is there, you mean in the job description, right? What kind of stuff? Yeah. For example, why is the team not mentioned in the job description? Is that because they don't know how to write a job description or because intentionally, because there is no team? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and uh, a good example would be like, we are looking for a data scientist to join our search and recommendation team, right? So then it's clear which team it will be. And what topic the team is working on. Uh-huh. And if it's like, okay, we're looking for somebody with five years of experience in uh, data science and Perl and AWS and Docker and just a bunch of things and then apply here. And then you're thinking, okay, well, what exactly is this, right? Yeah. You're like, hmm, this is a little <laughs> bit of like, I guess they're desperate. <laughs> they saw online that this is what people are hiring these days and they want one too or something. I don't know. So kind of like this, sometimes the job description is not enough to figure out why is something there or not there, right? If it's like mm-hmm. on purpose or if they're like, yeah, it's the first time they are hiring kind of like this, or it's a new person writing the job description or they didn't do proper research. You know, it can also be that it's harmless, right? It's like, it, it's just out of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Do you have maybe some sort of a checklist of things that we should try to find in the job description and if they are missing we should ask so one thing you mentioned team should be mentioned and area on which you will work are there other things yeah so for example for data science right so data science is the part that is coming down the line of data right it's not the stuff that the company starts with so if you want to like make the data people applying like relaxed about it, you should just mention the fact that you already have a data engineering platform. You already have a data infrastructure. You already have a data analytics team. But you can also see this from the information, what they want. Like if you are apply as a data scientist and they ask you all sorts of tools, like all the tools of all over the space of data, then you already know that you're not really going to do data science, right? (laughs) So yeah, so basically the checklist is like on the team side, I would say, figure it out. If there's a team mentioned, how is that team mentioned? What do they say about the team? And one thing that is also like borderline with culture here is do they have juniors in the team or not? Maybe they don't have juniors in this team, but they have juniors in other teams. Like This is taking it to the yeah. culture level, right? But I guess this is not something you check on the job description, but rather maybe go to LinkedIn and yeah. then see, okay, what the people who work in this company, are there people with the junior title? Exactly. Yeah. Another thing is like on the job description, I think on the role itself. So there's this part of the role. It's like the must haves and then the nice to haves, right? Mm-hmm. Would be the, your responsibilities and things you do at work. And here, this can range from being well-defined. Mm-hmm to being like a bullet point of all the tech stack that is out there, Mm -hmm. right? So 
this is a nice paradigm that not a lot of people are using is this like having objectives already mentioned in the job description. So if you think about it, which kind of job would you apply? One that says you have to have a PhD in whatever plus three years work experience or in the first six months, you will your task is to improve three of our machine learning models to improve their performance. I mean, I'm making it as a joke, but like, can you get a PhD in three years work experience in six months? No. So you're like, and then the job itself is improving machine learning models. I mean, you're really missing out on talent <laughs> because I wouldn't apply if I wouldn't have a PhD and they ask for a PhD, right? So objective. So we need to have a team mentioned, right? So then responsibility should be well-defined with objectives, not just a list of technologies. Right? Yeah, not like hey, it was, would be nice if you know everything because maybe some of the stuff is going to be relevant to actually something that we are going to be doing. We don't know yet what we're doing. So this is how I would interpret it, right? Like we have absolutely no idea what this person is supposed to be doing. So we're just putting all the possible skills, which might actually not be the case. <laughs> mm -hmm. But this is something to think about when you have the first interview, second interview to ask them yeah, actually, right? To ask about so at least thing. you need to do some homework and figure out, okay, what do I really need to ask them? And a job description is a good indicator if like, they know who they want or not, right? Yeah. The other thing is also if they talk about diversity on the job description. I think equal employment opportunity, saying whether they care about diversity. And so most of the time, I think it's it's starting to be the normal thing to do, right? Whether it's like part of the culture or it's just like marketing, that's something to find out in the interview process. But like wording that is off-putting is already like a sign of lack of diversity. <laughs> so like the language on the job description, right? Like, for example, if I see a job description that hires a rock star or a ninja or something, I don't apply. And I would also like, I don't even actually have that conversation further. Mm -hmm. I don't even like say like, like 2022, maybe three years ago, this would have been ignorance. But now I just think you have a team that is thriving on competition and not on collaboration. Just like that, you know? So I would never recommend anybody to apply to a job like mm -hmm. as like Ninja or Rockstar. Yeah. yeah, this is something actually we talked uh, last week on the podcast with Olga. We discussed uh, a tool. There is a tool that analyzes mm -hmm. the language of the job description and it says... The gender decoder. I, I don't know if it's a gender decoder, but it says that, okay, this word, using this word, they say, okay, like if you use this word, it would attract more males than females, mm -hmm. right? So consider changing it to, to this. So for example, for me as a candidate, so maybe I am ignorant and I don't always see these red flags, but now you mentioned uh, Rockstar Ninja. Are there other things that you would consider like maybe not red flags, but good indicators that maybe something might be off? Well, a lot of bullet points is off, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of bullet points. So from the research that I was doing for this talk, it actually, it's a sign of rigid interview process. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is that the person interviewing you will end up asking you questions that you could just Google, right? Yeah, this is what like not Questions about how you think about solving a problem, which is in the end what you actually have to do at work, right? But they're going to ask you syntax questions for like random tools or programming languages that they have there. So that is a, again, goes back in the culture, right? Of the interview practice. Now, again, 
this is work that can be done on the candidate side. So most of the companies actually do not put in the work to fix their job description on the gender decoding and all sorts of things. So sometimes you might feel like you like the company and you like the role, but you read the job description and you don't really feel like applying. And then you realize that it's because of the language mm -hmm. or you don't even know it. This is all subconscious what's happening, right? It's not like, oh, <laughs> I don't like it, you know? Mm -hmm. So there was this research, right? Like apparently women apply less to these jobs that have like off-putting language, but also women actually get more of the jobs that they apply to because they do this research mm -hmm. more, right? And whereas maybe for men there's less information on a job description that would like make it off-putting you know yeah but there's like words right like saying like you, we're expecting you to so junior position and we're expecting you to work fully autonomously <laughs> you know <laughs> who's gonna do that or have that expectation of a junior right mm -hmm. it depends i mean you want some autonomy but you also want some goals right or some guidance I know like good examples, like very rare examples that when they are there, you're like feeling, oh, that is such a nice job. Oh, that is like, I don't need this job. Like it's completely out of my range of expertise. There's very few like that, right? I've seen there was a, a job that had short paragraphs about every team member. This is the person you're going to work with. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't happen often. Right? <laughs> no, exactly. Right. Like you see that they put a lot of effort in creating that job description, right? Mm -hmm. Or job descriptions that I like this style of telling you, like, this is what you're going to do in your first two weeks, what you're going to do in the next three months and what you're going to do in the next six months. This is something you ask on the interview, right? You could also have it in the job description. Yeah, right. And then you don't have to ask this on the interview. I mean, for people doing job descriptions, when you have a lot of repetitive questions asked in the interview by the candidate, you could just as well add it. Mm -hmm. Again, lack of salary on the job description. I know most companies have the lack of salary. Yeah. In Germany, it's very difficult to find companies who actually put salary on the listing. Newsflash for everybody. It is no longer illegal in Germany to talk about your salary. <laughs> and newsflash <laughs> for companies expecting candidate people working at your company to not talk about salary is being naive about it. Very naive. It is really more expensive to lose employees because of lack of transparency on the salary than just fix the salaries. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so basically every time I talk to someone that was saying like, yeah, I'm having a job opening, I would love to put the salaries, but I can't. And then I'm saying, oh, so I think this is why you don't put the salaries, right? And they're, they're like, yeah, that's why. And the reasons are we have not fixed the salaries internally and we have older people that don't have the right salary and or people in different regions that don't have, right? So then we can't do this. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so in the end, every information that you think comes from no salary on the thing is true. <laughs> so. Okay, we mentioned a couple of times that it's uh, important to do some research. So for mm -hmm. example, to see how many juniors are in the company by going to LinkedIn and then checking this. How do we actually do this? So in addition to this, checking how many juniors are there in the company, what else can we do? Do we just go to Google, put in the name of the company and look at the first page or there's an approach that we can take? So yeah, so some companies, they have the team on, so the smaller startups, they actually have the team on their website, right? Now you can take a look there and you see the color of the people, the gender of the people. And if you are, feel represented by that, 
or if you want to contribute to a lack of diversity, then go for it. So I think that's one way. So for the ones right now, there are some companies, I think, sure, going to LinkedIn or Sing or whatever, and just checking who's working there and like third degree network, second degree network. And another thing is like on the team stuff, I think what's really something people don't really think about it is that you spend 30% of your time with the work colleagues. So some of us, not everybody, some of us are at parts in our careers where we like to work with people that inspire us. So this is something you can find out. Are there any people in that team or in that company that you find inspiring? Any role models, you know, and that's like you can check if they do conference talks, meetups, and so on, right? So that's something that like taking it an extra mile to kind of figure it out. You can also check past employees so on LinkedIn. You can figure out also past employees. You can see how long they worked in a company. Also, the other one regarding career pipelines. Sure, you can ask in the interview about if they have pipelines for the career and whatnot. Pipeline is like career ladder, like junior, middle, senior, and so on, right? Exactly. But you can also check that out on LinkedIn to see how many people change their jobs within the company. Like how many become seniors, right? Or how many become, I don't know, managers. Because a lot of companies... For many bigger companies, right, it takes usually a moment of crisis to figure out that they have to fix the culture. And that moment of crisis is when it happened everywhere, right? At some point it happens. It turns out that it's easier to get promoted by just leaving the company than mm-hmm. staying, right? And after a lot of people do that, then they realize, oh, we need to <laughs> fix this. <laughs> Apparently we have a problem. And then they have nice culture, right? Which is fine. It's just good to know about it, right? Because then you know where you are and what you have to do with it, right? Maybe it's really important for you to have a two-year job and then like move on because the team is still great to learn from and people are great to learn from. But you also know that some of those people great to learn from are going to leave while you're there because they are going to feel disenchanted with the process. You basically check LinkedIn, check what people are doing, check what the company is doing, what kind of statements they make online. And I think one of the things that everybody has to decide for themselves is like, do they need to care about what products the company is doing? Right? What is the mission of the company? What are the things that the company is creating? What are the values of the company? Because I think it depends, right? So some people want job stability, you know, they're like, at that point, Old school, that's how it was before. Like you worked somewhere for 30 years, right? That's how it was. And now you work Mm -hmm. somewhere for three years and then another place for three years. So job stability is no longer the thing, right? So you want to be motivated and you want to enjoy your work and you want to learn because you like learning and it's like cool and stuff. So maybe then it is important that you are motivated. But this is something that you have to learn about yourself, right? Not everybody needs to care mm-hmm. about the environment, of course. And Yeah, I think that goes back to what you mentioned at the beginning. So you need to first understand what you yourself want before starting to read the job description and see if this is much as what you want, right? So first you need to understand what you want. Uh, by the way, is there any good approach? So let's say I don't want, I just want to have a job. Mm-hmm. How can I approach this? Like, of course, I can learn from my past mistakes. So, for example, not mistakes or mismatches. 
So, for example, I worked at a company where it was very difficult to work from home. And then for me, then I interview for the next company. I ask for this in advance, right? Okay, like, can I work from home? Or with COVID, I guess everyone had to work from home. But before that, like, it was a thing that I would ask. But you can also now ask about what kind of processes they have in place for people to successfully work from home. Uh-huh. We have to agree, right? Like, working from home and being completely remote is not an organic process it needs support right it needs work Mm -hmm. and if that doesn't happen in a company then you will going to hear like one year later we've decided that everybody has to come to work oh and we don't have parking lots right like at tesla well one thing you can do is learn from experience that okay you have to go to the office but now when you already signed the contract you come to the office on your car and you find out that there is no parking mm-hmm. slot right and then it's oops situation the next time you look for a job you will ask about this yeah. right but is there a systematic way of thinking what do i actually want what do i actually need instead of making all these mistakes learning from yeah. these mistakes and going uh, there and uh, just <laughs> signing up for a job that uh, maybe does not match what you need like is there a systematic way to figure out what you need when you don't have uh, this i don't know 10 years of experience so it depends on each person right so for some people the culture won't matter because they are the majority so they won't notice things if you're part of a underrepresented group in tech then the culture will matter more than other things so you need to prioritize what is like uh, most important to you right is the mission the culture for example You have to be aware that if the culture matters to you, then you need to go in a company that has good culture because working on fixing the culture takes away from your development, career development, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, why am I not growing in my career as fast as other people? Maybe you are at that part in your career where it's not so expensive to not learn as fast. So yeah, you need to prioritize. You basically you can do this list. Okay, so I need a team. I need the mission. So I need it. So what do I have? So I have team, the role, the culture, and the retention. Right. So what is really important for me? So do I care about the culture more? Do I care about the team? Do I care about which ones are basically must-haves, right? And which ones are okay? It's fine if it's not like the team, right? So. If you're experienced, then it doesn't really matter if the team is large or small or created or not. You can make a team, right? But if you're at the beginning of your career, then you probably care about the team quite a lot, who's in that team. Mm -hmm. Then again, retention. If you're experienced, the retention part might matter more because a lot of employees are quitting often and stuff like that. That's a sign of something not being done right. And it's going to be frustrating Mm -hmm. down the line. And you're going to be like not really managing to do stuff right much at work. And there's a reason I think behind it, right? And the other one thing, which is also really important, does the company, I mean, they have a data science job description, but do they really, really need a data scientist? Mm-hmm. How do you find out? So this is where you have to actually first, you have to figure out if they actually have a data infrastructure. So I think in my talk, I was mm-hmm. talking about companies are like before data, during data and after data, right? So which stage are they in? So before data, they don't need a data scientist. So they need to start like tracking. They need to kind of start with the culture. Then like with the data, right? Then while they're becoming data-driven, they probably have a data infrastructure and then they have data scientists. But again, 
most of the stuff that data scientists are doing might not actually make it to production because it's not like an established culture in the company and there's going to be a lot of advocacy going on. And so a good question to ask in the interviews would be like, who in the company wants the company to be data driven? Who in the company wants the company to be data driven? Yeah. Ah, interesting. I mean, it's the same with diversity, right? They say like, if a company wants to start being diverse and everything, it has to be a top-down move. Mm-hmm. You know, like if the sea level doesn't push for it, they will actually resist it. And the same for data culture. It's a culture shift. We're going from not being data-driven to being data-driven. It's a culture shift, right? It's not really happening overnight. It's happening with a lot of stuff disrupting day-to-day work. So you need to be told, every team needs to be told that that's the way we are going and that's where we are going and not be like, we only go there if it's easy or if we can do it on Friday. Why does it matter for me as a candidate? Why does it matter if a company at which maturity stage it is, or if it's before data, during data or after data? Well, so you can basically identify what is the work you're going to do. Mm-hmm. So there's this all this visualization about this, 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 like what is the business value? What are you building? Why are you building it? Then you mm-hmm. get the data and then you do some like modeling is usually this, this thing there, Stripe, and then presenting and whatnot. Now, mm-hmm how big the slices in the pie, where is your effort going to go? That's kind of given by mm-hmm. this. So if it's like okay. before data, most of your work is going to be in just communicating with stuff with people. And it's going to mm-hmm. be like the first communication, like getting business proposals and stuff. And it's not going to be so much as maybe you're going to do some modeling, but there's just no infrastructure to help you with putting that out there. Right. I mean, if the infrastructure is not there. Mm-hmm. First, communicating, then building this infrastructure, and then maybe finally, after three years, training that first linear regression, right? Yeah. And then, like, the team that you're going to give this to are going to be like, wait, but we were already doing it differently before and it was working. And now you're like making us lose our job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you're replacing us. So, this is also like a funny question to ask. Okay. So, your company is like this, this, this old. When did you start doing data stuff? Mm-hmm. Right. So if they say that they were like, I don't know, eight years old when they started doing data and now they're one year in the process. So one year is not enough for a culture shift. The company is still in the culture shift. And this is more about to know like if this fits to you. Mm-hmm. Are you a good communicator or are you like an introvert that just wants to do the thing or like you're really tech oriented and whatnot because this is not going to be a good space for you, right? Mm-hmm. Or are you a good communicator? Then you're going to thrive there. Of course, you're not going to become this stellar data scientist that would have gotten the stage to do fancy models all the time. But you're going to mm-hmm. maybe go into more into product. Yeah, because maybe not not now, but a couple of years ago, there was this impression that what data scientists do at work is the same kind of stuff you would do at Kaggle. So get a clean data set, train a model, squeeze everything from this data as much as possible. And then you have this perfect model that you just deploy, right? And if a company is at the before data level, well, good luck, right? So there is no data at all. Yeah, you're like, okay, so where is this data tracked? Oh, we didn't track this because nobody thought we would need it, right? And you're like, okay. I mean, it happens, right? Like bigger companies. And the other thing you have to understand, I think, 
because of this mentality, like what data science was, and you talk to people like they're working on a project and you ask them, so what did you do? And they always tell you, yeah, we trained the model to do this and to predict that. And then you're like, why? So I'm asking, okay. why did you do that? For whom? How are they using it, right? So if you don't do this extra step, then that stuff is, it's going to be so much work to actually getting used because by the time you get to the why and then whatnot, you figure out that actually nobody had the problem you were solving. But yet they still decide to hire you. Yeah, because sure. maybe consultants from McKinsey came and said, hey, you need to be data-driven, so you need to hire one data scientist uh, or two data scientists. Here is this awesome slide deck. Uh, goodbye. Yeah, this can be happening, yeah. I mean, there's also the other kind of companies, you know, like the companies that have AI or machine learning part of the company title. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Right? They have to have a data scientist, right? <laughs> They're like, oh man, we had the AI now in the title. We need to do fancy machine learning and the data scientists, yeah, but linear regression still solves their problems now. But it has to be AI. So I think sometimes the story is a little bit different where like uh, machine learning, data science is at the core of the company product. And then that is the product, right? Like you don't do image recognition without image recognition, right? (laughs) If you're selling image cameras. But the example I was giving up uh, when I was giving a talk on the, the product at Freenow is like, hey, like you order a taxi from A to B, you know, and you're sitting there and you're ordering and it tells you it's going to cost 10 euros. And like, how often do you ask yourself or a user ask themselves, so how is this model behind this price performing? <laughs> it's like <laughs> sitting there and using an app and thinking, hmm, I wonder what model they're using for this. Yeah, you probably wonder, okay, 10 euros for this trip, it's too much. Or, oh, 10 euros, good price. So yeah, exactly. And then it was 8 euros and you're happy or it was 12 euros. And mm-hmm. you're like, hmm, it lied to me. Maybe next time I will be like a little skeptical about this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's a jungle out there, right? With the mm-hmm. job description. And how can we determine from a job description at which level the company is? So is it mature enough? Is it before data, during data, or after data? I guess there are some signals in the description, right, that we can use. The tech stack, right? I think I once looked at a job description in the energy domain, and it had like tech stack that I've never heard of. It was like not even Python, right? It sounded like... Everything is done with Excel. I don't have anything against Excel. I mean, Excel still happens, right? Like the question is, do you want to be the person who changes this to the modern quotes unquote stack, right? Exactly. But this is a little bit like you need a little bit of experience with that, right? To figure out it's like, is this tech stack like belonging together or is like a little bit all over the place, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if it's all over the place, then it's like maybe not the thing. Or if there is any tech stack at all, right? Yeah. Like, do they mention cloud there? Like, then if they don't, maybe they don't have it yet. Yeah. Although asking people to be experts in AWS for a data scientist job is also something mm-hmm. like a little bit off. Because in the end, you can learn it. Yes. If you have people to learn it from, right? And maybe it's mentioned in the job description that they already have a data engineering. Like, they can kind of mention, like, the structure of the department. And if it's not mentioned, then you can use LinkedIn or other in sync. Can you also do this? Like for a company, can you see what kind of people work there? Like the titles, all that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You can also basically, yeah, you can see what kind of jobs do people on LinkedIn think mm-hmm. or whatnot have there. Right. And if they don't have like the website of the company, 
This is, of course, for larger companies. For smaller companies, sometimes you hear this, we don't care about titles. Mm -hmm. Like, is it a good thing or not? Right? <laughs> like, depends. Exactly. It depends. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. One more thing, maybe to check if the company is doing any talks on conferences. Mm -hmm. Do they have like a tech blog? I think this is also a good indicator yeah, that okay. they want to share knowledge. Okay, I think that would be it for today. Is there anything you want to say before we wrap up? Well, maybe that the talk, uh, like say you're mentioning is on YouTube and also the slides and everything. I will include the and, link. Uh, in that talk, in the slides description, there's like a lot of links to kind of read up on each of these aspects. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, more people should do research and invest your time wisely, right? Mm -hmm. That's uh, the main takeaway, right? Do research. And put some pressure on companies to write better job descriptions so that stop applying mm -hmm. at jobs that are bad or just write them, sorry, I would love to apply for you, but this job description is really off-putting me, <laughs> off-putting at the moment, so maybe you fix that. Okay. How can people find you? Twitter, LinkedIn, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for answering questions. Yes. And uh, thanks everyone for joining us today. That was fun. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Likewise. Okay. Have a great day. Bye.